This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. It's a fraud and it's a shame. It's a rigged I, election. I, I, really? Is that what you're worried about, buddy? Rigged election? Because I think it's something else. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in once again blazing Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. Got good news for you guys. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day. On the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Bird and Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com with a whole lot to get to today. So pardon me if I have to go quickly, if only to get to Desi Doyen's Green News (laughs) Report at the end. You better. With some surprise news from the uh, presidential debate this week, believe it or not. All right. uh, For all of the repeated claims that Donald Trump has been making about fraud via absentee voting and the need for the courts to stop all of this, even though Donald Trump himself, by the way, votes fraudulently himself via absentee ballot in Florida, where he does not have a legal residence to vote in that state. Despite that, the uh, Republicans in the Trump campaign are losing over and over and over in courts when it comes to the issue of absentee voting. Even right-wing appellate courts appear to be siding with voting rights advocates and Democrats when it comes to crucial mail-in voting issues, which I will get to in a moment. And at the same time, for all of the attention that Trump is giving to these to the absentee ballot uh, process, a process which, if you listen to this show, you know that I'm not actually crazy about for any number of reasons. Other than when we're in the middle of a worsening, deadly pandemic, which could kill people if they are forced to vote in person. But for all the attention that Trump has been putting onto uh, mail in voting and the absentee process, it has uh, served him well in that the media is focused on that and not on the very serious concerns about electronic voting at the polling place and the havoc that could result from failed, unverifiable electronic voting systems, failed electronic poll book systems, 
And one of my greatest concerns, I should say gravest concerns this year regarding our upcoming Election Day, ransomware attacks, which have been increasing, exploding all uh, all across the U.S. over the past year. At the beginning of the week, uh, we broke a huge story about what is going on in the state of Georgia right now, where last Friday, the Secretary of State's office sent out an urgent notice to election officials in all 159 counties telling them to immediately stop their pre-election testing of the state's new unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that were forced onto the counties uh, this year by the Republican Secretary of State there. The, the state claimed that they had discovered a database error that affected all counties, which would require new databases to be sent to every one of them. These are the d- databases that have the ballot uh, programming on them for all of the races in all of the counties. And then on Monday... That was Friday. And then on Monday, when the federal judge in a long running case to ban those flawed, easily manipulated voting systems in favor of verifiable handmarked paper ballots, uh, when the judge called a meeting of all the parties to discuss the shocking news from Friday, the state claimed that, oh, it's not actually a database problem at all, but in fact, something far worse. That's a teaser for you for this (laughs) remarkable story uh, that is getting literally no coverage in the national mainstream media, uh, but absolutely should. We will be joined momentarily by Marilyn Marks, the lead plaintiff in that case, on what's actually going on and on the new developments in it, uh, which has led her organization, the Coalition for Good Governance, to file a new motion with the federal judge uh, last night seeking a new emergency hearing there less than two weeks before early voting is now set to begin on these new systems in the closely divided battleground state. Uh, But so we'll get to that in a moment. But first, when it comes to Trump's efforts to in the courts to block absentee vote counting, it is not going well for them. Earlier this week, I was joined by Brad Blog legal analyst Ernie Canning to discuss several of these cases around the country, including a recent finding by a federal judge in Wisconsin that the state was indeed allowed to accept and count absentee ballots postmarked by Election Day for up to six days after the elections. If the For example, uh, U.S. Postal Service was slow in getting those uh, ballots to the election headquarters. The Republicans appealed that ruling to the very conservative Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, where uh, Ernie told me that he expected the ruling would would be stayed or reversed entirely since that court has been no friend to Wisconsin voting rights, at least in the past. But no sooner did we get off the air on Tuesday than the good news actually came in from the Seventh Circuit. A federal appeals court on Tuesday upheld the six-day extension for counting absentee ballots in Wisconsin's presidential election, handing Democrats a victory in their fight Uh -uh. to deliver the key battleground state for Biden this November. No, that's handing voters a victory. It allows voters for their ballot to be counted if it was delayed through no fault of their own. Thank you. (laughs) You should be sitting in this seat. No, thank you. That was how AP reported it. Indeed, it is a victory for all voters. 
Now, the decision, if it stands, means that ballots postmarked on or before November 3 will be counted as long as they are received by November 9. Republicans could still, however, appeal this case to the U.S. Supreme Court, which, of course, is why they're so desperate to pack the court as quickly as possible with Trump's nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat in a process which has never happened, never in our history, has never happened this close to an election. That, after the Republicans' year-long blockade that I'm sure you remember in 2016, when Justice Scalia died in February of that year, their claims at the time that there was no time to see a new justice before that year's presidential election in November. They said it had already begun because the primaries uh, had started in February. And it was just too close to an election. The American people deserved a voice in the new Supreme Court justice. Well, forget about all of that, of course, because now they're desperate to do Donald Trump's bidding and pretend there's some problem with absentee ballots that needs to be stopped by a stolen U.S. Supreme Court. In Wisconsin, however, all three judges who issued this ruling were appointed by Republican presidents, including one appointed by Donald Trump. The GOP-dominated state legislature, which had sued, does not have standing to represent a general state interest in federal court, according to the appeals court judges. A spokesperson for the Wisconsin Democratic Party said, quote, We welcome the court's decision to expand voting in Wisconsin so that more voters have the opportunity to register and have their voices heard. Absentee ballots are normally due in local clerks' offices by 8 p.m. on Election Day. But the DNC, the State Democratic Party, and the League of Women Voters all sued to extend the deadline after the April presidential primary saw long lines, fewer polling places, shortages of workers, thousands of ballots that were mailed to voters uh, too late for them to be sent back to the elections office by Election Day. An attorney for Protect Democracy, one of the groups involved in the suit, said all Wisconsin voters, regardless of their party or where they live, benefit from election procedures designed to be safe and effective during ongoing challenges of voting during a pandemic. State election officials anticipate as many as two million people in the state will cast absentee ballots to avoid catching the virus at the polls in a state which is now a hot spot for COVID-19, according to the White House, and a state which Donald Trump supposedly won in 2016 by fewer than 20,000 votes, flipping the state red for the first time in decades. So all in all, very good news for all voters in the critical battleground state of Wisconsin. But there is also good news from the court uh, with a similar finding in Mike Pence's home state of Indiana where a federal judge on Tuesday uh, rejected Indiana's noon election day deadline to receive absentee ballots, allowing Hoosiers more time to mail in absentees for the November 3rd presidential election. The rule from a U.S. district judge means absentee ballots marked on or uh, postmarked on or before November 3 and received on or before November 13 will be counted in Indiana. Common Cause Indiana, the group that filed the suit, called the ruling a huge win for Hoosier voters. 
Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill's office told the Indy Star on Wednesday that they are reviewing and considering their options. The judge, in her decision, rejected an argument that allowing an extra 10 days to receive those ballots would somehow undermine the election process. Rather, she said, ensuring all valid absentee ballots postmarked by November 3rd, quote, should in fact help assuage concerns over the legitimacy of the results. She's absolutely right. The uh, burden imposed by Indiana's noon Election Day receipt deadline, which threatens to disenfranchise thousands of eligible absentee voters for reasons that, because of COVID-19, are outside their control, is very substantial, Judge Sarah Evans Barker wrote. There is no impact on the voting process itself, nor any real risk of voter confusion or dissuasion from casting a ballot, she said. So, good news in Wisconsin, good news for voters in Mike Pence's otherwise red state of Indiana. Let's keep going. (laughs) Montana, also considered a deep red state where Trump won by 20 points back in 2016, but where the state's Democratic governor, Steve Bullock, also won re-election on the very same statewide ballot that same year. Bullock is now running for U.S. Senate in the state against incumbent Republican Steve Daines. And as in the primaries, the governor invoked his power to allow counties to send ballots to all active registered voters. Well, good news there as well. On Wednesday, a federal judge in in Montana rejected an effort by Trump's reelection campaign and Republican Party groups to block Montana counties from holding the general election mostly by mail, saying that uh, claims that such a system could be marred by widespread voter fraud, voter fraud is, quote, a fiction. U.S. District Judge Dana Christensen wrote, quote, when pressed during the hearing in this matter, the plaintiffs, that would be the Trump campaign and the Republicans, They were compelled to concede that they cannot point to a single instance of voter fraud in Montana in any election during the last 20 years. He added, uh, importantly, Montana's use of mail ballots during the recent primary election did not give rise to a single report of voter fraud. Thus, there is no record of election fraud in Montana's recent history, and it's highly unlikely that fraud will occur during the November 3 election. This is a fact which should provide comfort, he said, to all Montanans, regardless of their political persuasion. Now, mind you, this is what Donald Trump has been complaining the most about. These states that are sending out ballots, he likes to say unsolicited ballots to the voters, Uh, But they did so in the primary earlier this year in Montana. The very Republican state of Montana had absolutely no uh, uh, complaints of fraud at all. And the judge says there is no reason to not do it again in the general election. All 56 Montana counties conducted their June primary by mail because of the pandemic. uh, 45 have now chosen to do the same for the general election where uh, people will also have the option to vote in person if they prefer. The ruling follows on a similar one that we covered last week by a federal judge in Nevada who also rejected Trump campaign's efforts to block a bill that was passed by the state legislature 
to offer all mail ballots uh, to voters in uh, in Nevada this November. Trump also contested an all mail ballot in New Jersey, where the legislature there passed a bill to allow ballots to be mailed to all active voters. That case is still pending in U.S. District Court. But if it goes the way the rest of these uh, cases have gone, Donald Trump will be out of luck there again. Voters will be very much in luck. In Alabama on Wednesday, a federal judge ruled that the state cannot block counties from offering curbside voting and that witnesses and photo ID requirements for absentee voting violate the rights of certain voters during the covid pandemic. Secretary of State John Merrill, a Republican who still unlawfully blocks me on Twitter (laughs) because I pointed out to him that he was not telling the truth about his state's own voting system a couple of years ago. Uh, Secretary of State and the attorney general there said they would appeal that decision. (laughs) Because, of course. Because why not? Uh, U.S. District Judge. Uh, Abdul Callan ruled that the ban on curbside voting, the witness requirement and the photo ID requirement as applied during the pandemic violate federal law and voting rights for people at risk of illness because of medical condition, disability or being over 65. Karen uh, Short, attorney at the Southern Poverty Law Center, said today's decision provides crucial relief in Alabama's absentee voting process. We are deeply hopeful that the secretary of state and county election officials will accept the court's ruling. But of course they won't. Secretary Merrill has said he would ask the U.S. 11th Circuit Court of Appeals to block the order. If necessary, he said the state would again appeal to the Republicans stolen U.S. Supreme Court. That decision is a huge win for Alabama voters said the uh, NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. No one should be forced to risk their safety to exercise their constitutional right in the pandemic. Of course, whether Republicans and this presidential administration actually follow any of these court rulings is still a separate matter, as we see this week in the critical battleground of North Carolina, where on Tuesday, county board of elections across the state started processing of uh, the process of determining which absentee ballots could and couldn't be accepted for the general election. Now, a proposed court settlement to a lawsuit calls for an absentee voter to be allowed to cure a ballot if it's found, for example, to be faulty because of a lack of a required witness signature. Uh, the settlement would also allow voters to hand deliver ballots to uh, to a drop box and for absentee ballots to be accepted if they are postmarked by Election Day and received by officials before November 12. The current deadline to receive such ballots is November 6. Well, more than 278,000 ballots have already been mailed in. That's compared with fewer than 200,000 total mailed in back in the 2016 election. The Trump campaign, uh, however, and this is remarkable, sent a letter to all Republicans on county election boards urging them to disregard new state guidelines for absentee ballots. The Trump campaign letter reads, quote, the North Carolina Republican Party advises you not to follow the procedures. The Democrats are trying to undermine the election process through backroom shenanigans, they wrote. 
uh, it's just amazing. Judith Kelly of Duke University, who's an international expert on election security, said, quote, it is absolutely not common for a political campaign to instruct local election officials on which state rules to follow or not follow. She said, I do not recall a similar situation. The state board sent out a response to county election officials, reminding them they are required to follow state directives. They are not allowed to take advice from political parties. Guidance sent to you or board members by a political party or other source should not be considered or followed. The state board had to write in this Good letter. Lord. Duke University's Kelly said, and I think she hits the nail on the head here. She said, I think it comes down to the fact that this president is not actually trying to win this election. This president is trying to not have to concede this election. That's what's going on, she said. And I think she's absolutely right. He knows he's likely to lose. So he's looking for any claim that he can make that he was somehow cheated here. Well, so far, at least, the courts ain't buying it, and neither should you. That said, what's going on in Georgia today should have you very concerned. And that story, which sadly you won't hear anywhere else, apparently, that's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. <laughs> Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So while the mainstream corporate media is justifiably spending a lot of time this year focusing on Donald Trump's threat to the integrity of American democracy and his usually false claims about absentee voting, as usual, the media are spending almost no time covering the wildly dangerous threat to our electronic voting and poll book systems. Given their coverage of what uh, Russia may or may not have done in cyberspace during the 2016 election, it's kind of astonishing that the media are giving so little attention to current cybersecurity threats when it comes to new untested, wildly vulnerable, and yes, unverifiable voting systems, electronic voting systems that are being deployed across the country for the first time this year, particularly in critical battleground states, even with remarkable stories unfolding right now, right before our eyes uh, in, in many of these states. Georgia, could be a very important state this year for Democrats. It could flip blue for the first time in decades on the presidential level. Joe Biden is said to be very close behind Donald Trump in the Peach State pre-election polling. And the state this year has not one but two U.S. Senate elections on the ballot, one normal Senate election and one special Senate election, where Democrats could pick up not one, but two currently Republican U.S. Senate seats in their effort to retake the majority in the upper chamber of Congress. At the same time, 
after a federal judge last year found all of Georgia's 20-year-old touchscreen voting systems, systems to be unsecure, unverifiable, and thus unconstitutional, Georgia's Republican Secretary of State has now forced every county in the state to use new, unsecure, and unverifiable touchscreen voting systems for the first time this year in a presidential election where the systems, which rely on electronic poll books to work, already failed disastrously during primary elections earlier this year, largely in minority voting districts. On Monday of this week, we broke the huge story on this show that a few days earlier, late on Friday night, the Secretary of State in Georgia, his office had sent a notice to election officials in all 159 counties in the state that they should immediately stop their pre-election testing of some 80,000 pieces of voting equipment due to what the uh, state election official Chris Harvey described in his email to officials as, quote, an error in the November database that will require every county to get a new database for the November 3, 2020 election. He uh, apologizes and notes that the Secretary of State was, quote, working with Dominion, that's the private voting system vendor and apparently the contractor for programming all of the state's voting systems, working with Dominion to correct the error and get you new databases as soon as possible, he said. We don't want you to waste time doing pre-election logic and accuracy testing on those systems that will have to be redone, he said, with a new database. He gave no timeline for those new databases, which store all of the ballot programming for each and every race in each and every county, but he promised an update as soon as they could figure out the problem. All of that happened just 11 business days before early voting was to begin in the state and just over 40 days until Election Day at the time. That in a state which is now required in every county to use these touchscreen systems at the polling place. It was a huge issue and a huge debacle raising the question about whether the replacement databases could even be created and delivered to all 159 counties. They must be sent by hand, by the way, not by the Internet for security purposes. Uh, so they have to be delivered and then they have to be tested on every piece of hardware across the state, according to state law. This is a huge screw up. When the Coalition for Good Governance, that's the election watchdog group that has a long running suit against the uh, use of unverifiable touchscreen voting systems in the state in federal court, when they filed uh, their emergency filing about this situation on Friday, after the Secretary of State had tried to keep it all quiet, the coalition noted that, quote, logic and accuracy testing is required for 34,000 touchscreens, 34,000 ballot marking device printers, 8,600 poll pads, that's the electronic uh, poll books that are required to make the touchscreen voting system work at all, 3,800 precinct scanners and 175 high volume mail ballot scanners. By the way, uh, they had noted that the uh, hand marked paper absentee uh, uh, ballots uh, that were already out, none of that was affected by whatever problem they found in the database that they uh, that stopped all testing dead in its tracks last Friday. 
The coalition noted that the logic and accuracy testing required by statute for BMDs alone is estimated to require approximately 15 minutes per unit, per ballot marking device unit. Those are the touchscreen voting systems. Or... 8,500 hours statewide. They noted that with early voting beginning October 12 and the early voting equipment estimated to be deployed beginning on October 7 for polling place setup, that leaves only time to properly test the electronic poll books, the ballot scanners, and enough ballot marking devices for disabled accessibility use only in time for the election. There was no time, they argued, to test all of the machines to force all of the voters at the polling place to use them. Conducting in-person voting using hand-marked paper ballots instead of BMDs, they told the court, eliminates the need to test approximately 68,000 BMDs and printers in what is an otherwise impossible time frame. On Monday... As we went to air to report that story, and it's a very big story that you would think would have national coverage. As we went to air to, to discuss that story, the judge, the federal judge in this lawsuit, had called all the parties to an emergency conference call to discuss it, in which the surprises kept coming during the call. For one, state officials told the judge that the problem actually wasn't the databases after all, as they had previously said, but it was a problem with the software itself that is used on all of the 34,000 touchscreen systems in the state. But not to worry, they said. They found the problem. They created a software fix for it, which they described over and over again as de minimis, meaning just a very small change, a very minimal change to the software code that didn't need to be recertified or anything by the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission before use. They said it could be installed on all of the state's voting machines without certification in plenty of time so that they could test both that all-new software on each machine and the election databases in the uh, normal logic and accuracy testing. Well, that set off alarm bells for voting system and cybersecurity experts, not to mention the attorneys for the Coalition for Good Governance. Uh, but incredibly, that was hardly the end of the story, as the coalition filed a new emergency pleading in federal court on Wednesday, this Wednesday, after they learned that, in fact, the state appeared to have lied to the federal judge and was in addition to installing brand new uncertified, untested software on the voting systems just one month before the election and two weeks before early voting, in addition to that, the state also, yes, would, in fact, be sending out all new election databases to all 159 counties at the same time. Which, if I read the Monday uh, uh, court transcript correctly of that emergency phone call on Monday, that's what the state told the judge over and over again that they would not be doing. In their attempt to minimize all of these concerns and call out the plaintiffs as they did for what they said was making a mountain out of a molehill. So yes... All of this seems kind of important in a state like Georgia, but frankly, in any state. As I got to tell you, I do not recall in my now going on 20 years on this beat, I don't remember seeing this kind of late installation of new untested software 
and new ballot programming databases installed onto a system used across an entire state this close to an election. And it's shocking, to me at least, how little coverage this is getting in an election year in an important state like Georgia, especially compared to Donald Trump's bluster about absentee voting conspiracy theories. Joining us now for the latest in this remarkable case, uh, which we, yes, here on the broadcast, have been covering in detail now for many years, in fact, is longtime election integrity advocate, founder and executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance and frequent guest on this program, Marilyn Marks. Hey, Marilyn, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you so much, Brad, and I know it's been a long time, but I appreciate your continued interest, even though it's been three years now. Well, you know, you're having to put up with these crazy stories. Well, apparently someone has to be interested. I, you know, I appreciate you joining us today. I know you're incredibly busy trying to keep up with all of this yourself right now, but... Before we get to the latest uh, news on this, because it's been moving quite quickly, did I skip anything crucial or get anything egregiously wrong in what I tried there to turn into a brief summary of this uh, of this madness in the state of Georgia? <laughs> um, if, as, as of maybe two hours ago, that seemed absolutely accurate. But who knows what's happened since I've last checked in, Brad. It's all <laughs> happening so fast. All right. Now, I think you got it right. Well, let me tell you where I am, Brad. Okay. Um, I'm, in, I'm in Atlanta, and I'm sitting in the parking lot of the Fulton County Election Preparation Center. Oh, boy. I just went in to visit and, and took in Hari Hursty, who I know you know and yeah. your listeners know is kind of world-famous cybersecurity expert, yeah. right? Yeah. I just took him in to be our expert observer as the Dominion technicians, not Fulton County people. The Dominion technicians are loading up this new software on every touchscreen device. It's going to be fascinating because I want to go back to your point. Mm -hmm. This election has been completely outsourced to Dominion voting systems. And, I mean, they are a third-party profit-making corporation. Mm -hmm. And essentially, Georgia has just said, Take it and do with it as you will, Dominion. By the way, they're a Can they're a Canadian they're a Canadian firm. By the way, so in case you have uh, concerns about you know uh, foreign countries meddling in our elections, we're actually paying foreign countries to meddle in our elections in the state of Georgia with these Dominion voting systems. Well, as you know, Brad, I'm, I have a entrepreneurial corporate background, and I'm all for you know the free enterprise system. But it stops when it comes to um, conducting public elections. Yep. No corporation, whether I don't care if they're based in Georgia or Moscow, mm -hmm. needs to be running our elections. And that is exactly what's going on here. And I just saw it again with my own eyes. So let me start with the initial claim uh, by state officials in Monday's telephonic court hearing, Marilyn, that the problem was not the database, uh, as they had first told county election officials in that alarming email on Friday, but that the problem was with some U.S. Senate candidates, apparently, not appearing on the touchscreen systems at various times and that that needed to be corrected by updating all of the actual software w uh, on these machines with, quote, de minimis changes 
to all of the touchscreen voting system software across the entire state. Am I characterizing that part correctly so far? You are, although okay. it's hard to keep a straight face by that. I mean, it's so outrageous. So what? So what is they actually? They are wiping all of the software. They're wiping off the old software, and then they're putting on new software. New software that has not been it's just been written, uh-huh. has not been tested, has not been certified by the uh, Election Assistance Commission. As far as we know, it's not even been submitted for approval. And as your listeners probably know, that you know this is federal certification, mm-hmm. and Georgia, like most states, is not supposed to be using voting systems that are not certified by the federal government. Well, let me ask this, about let me uh-huh. ask about that. I know there, it's not certified by the federal government. It is supposed to be in the state of Georgia by law. But what is wrong with, with the idea that, you know, they found a problem in the software that would affect the election, so the voting machine company writes new code to fix it, now they just have to install it in all the voting systems before voters begin to use it. What, what's wrong with that, with that process? Think of the number of things that could go wrong, from malicious actions that could occur in writing the software to human errors that occur when we get into a hurry. And you know that software developers try never, ever to get anything too rushed before they put it into the marketplace. Well, they've written this over a weekend and have not thoroughly tested it. There has been no user testing. And um, the number of things that can go wrong will take up more time than your show permits today. <laughs> which, um, which, but, you know, they might as well have gone out and, and said, okay, we're going to buy the Lucy and Ethel software yeah. and put it on. Yeah. I mean, it is, it, it is an outrageous and preposterous thing that they are doing. And I, like you, am shocked that the national media has not picked up on this more. Because we're talking about the votes of 7 million voters here. Yeah, 7 million voters, and uh, as I noted at the top, a key state, not just in the presidential uh, race, but also in those two U.S. Senate races, and, of course, all of the hundreds of other uh, elections that, yes, also matter as well. As a former programmer myself, I know how easy it is to just introduce bugs accidentally even when you do a small change to, to, to software, not to mention what could happen if somebody actually wanted to cause problems, which is why the uh, Elections Assistance Commission, a federal body, requires that these systems, you know, when, whenever they're changed in any way, that they go through a testing process before they can be used. That doesn't seem to be what's happening here. But Marilyn, after first saying that it was a database problem, according to the uh, Secretary of State's office, and that's the software that includes the ballot programming for each race in every county. Right. Right. Then they right. told the judge on Monday, no, no, it's not a database problem. We won't have to send new databases to everybody. It's a software problem. But now, as of your latest filing, I think, on, on Wednesday, it appears that the state says, oh, yeah, actually, we are also going to send out new databases, after all, to everybody. Do you have any idea <laughs> why they are now sending out databases in addition well, to the software? It turns out that there is yet another chapter that um, they claim today that that was a mistake and that they actually did not send out databases, even though that's what they said they were doing. And this morning we got um, we got emails from numerous counties saying that they received their new database. 
Well, it turns out that I don't think that those USB sticks actually had a database on them. They, they were just calling it a database, and it was actually, we believe, we'll certainly know more after we talk to Hari, um, that it was the software change alone, and that now their instructions are to load up the previous database after the software change gets made. So, I mean, it's just, uh, it is massive confusion, and I am sure that the instructions are going to be very difficult for these counties to implement um, because many of them don't have IT people, and of course they have gotten such confusing instructions saying, we're sending you a database, no we're not, we're sending you a database, and then saying, oh, no, no, we're not. Uh, can can uh, I, I'm just I'm I'm shocked. I hadn't realized that that they had uh, undecided that it was a database. But can any of this, whatever this madness is, let's say the 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 software code is is perfect. This brand new software code that they have to install on all of these computers, it's perfect, un uncertified, but it's still perfect. Can any of this actually be done? install all the software, and then do all the pre-election logic and accuracy tests for each and every machine, for every ballot uh, that, you know, used around the state? Can all of this be done in time for confidence, uh, for voters to have confidence on Election Day, much less early voting, which begins in less than two weeks in Georgia? Uh, yeah, it begins on the 12th, but absolutely not. I mean, the, the logic and accuracy test alone they should take at least 15 minutes per machine. There is no way that they're going to have time to do all of that. So they are already shortcutting the testing. They are not doing acceptance testing at all, which is the first thing you do after you change out the software before you even begin to load up your database and have the logic and accuracy test. I know I'm talking way down in the weeds here, but the bottom line is that there are numerous levels of tests that are just the first threshold of getting ready for an election and having any type of any type of assurance of accuracy, and they are either skipping them or truncating them to a degree that I cannot recommend that anyone vote on a touchscreen machine. Uh-huh. They really need to try to get a handmarked paper ballot by getting a mail ballot, if at all possible, and take it to their election office or a Dropbox when they're ready to vote. And mail-in ballots now are available to uh, all voters, as I understand it, in Georgia. So you don't have to be a certain That's age right. or have an excuse or something like that. That's right. Uh, That's right. So voters need to hear that, need to share that information in Georgia and let everyone know. Get yourself a handmarked paper mail-in ballot and then try to deliver it in person if you can. Marilyn, all of this comes as... U.S. District Court Judge Amy Totenberg was just about to issue rulings in your uh, long-running lawsuit seeking to, among other things, ban the use, the universal use of these touchscreen machines so that voters at the polls could vote with reliable, verifiable, hand-marked paper ballots instead. Uh, She was set to rule on a number of the issues in your complaint, I think, this week. On Monday, uh, she did rule on one of them regarding the electronic poll books. What was that ruling very quickly? Because I think it was good news. Right, and we were grateful to get that. It is good news, and that is she ordered that there be paper backups of the electronic poll books in every polling location 
so that when lines form, when machine, when the the uh, electronic poll books go down, which they have mm-hmm. in every single election they have been used, yep. when this new system came out, they've gone down in seven elections so far. Mm. No reason to think they're going to work on election day. And so, yes, at last, the judge ordered them against all of their resistance to have paper backups so that voters can continue to be checked in and get either a paper ballot or if the machines are working, a touchscreen machine ballot and keep the lines moving. It will be the greatest improvement to the lines moving in Georgia mm-hmm. that we've ever seen, I believe. Uh, uh, now, yeah. if they will just go keep, keep from having the failures of the voting itself, if they could just mark a hand-marked paper ballot, they would be in and out of there in far less time, of course. Well, of course, you're also assuming that the paper poll books that they're going to be putting in the polling places are, you know, accurate, up-to-date. That may be a heavy lift for the state of Georgia, historically, from what we've seen. But but it is, but it, it is very good news, uh, at least for uh, folks in Georgia. I wish that was uh, a federal ruling everywhere, because out here in Los Angeles, we had many of the same problems, where the electronic poll books did not work, people couldn't vote, the lines went uh, for hours and hours because of it. And right now, uh, as I understand it, there will be no paper backup poll books here in L.A. County, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, and a lot of the other jurisdictions that are now using electronic poll books because, you know, the e-voting has worked so well. Why not extend it to the poll books? Um, (laughs) And and now, do you have any sense, Marilyn, when uh, Judge Totenberg will rule on whether uh, the rest of your case here, whether voters uh, should be allowed to vote on hand-marked paper ballot systems at the polls instead of, or along with, these uh, unverifiable, flawed touchscreens, which uh, apparently are all have all new untested and uncertified software on them. Well, um, she had to hold another emergency session this morning, and it went on for about two and a half hours. I understood. I was not there, but, but I understood that she said that she hoped to issue her ruling this week. So I guess we have a couple more days, and uh, hopefully no more bombshells dropping in her chambers mm-hmm. from the state of whatever is the next crazy thing that's going to happen. If she ver- and hopefully she can get her ruling out. Very quickly, i got to get out here, uh, but I want to ask uh, two, two or three quick questions here. One, uh, if she does rule that, yes, voters have a right to use a hand-marked paper ballot at the polling place, is there time between now and early voting and or Election Day for Georgia to get those, to print up enough and uh, ballots and get them into the polling places uh, Absolutely. in time? Absolutely. There's plenty of time. Plenty of time, as well as there are lots of ballot-on-demand printers. The ballot printing is not a problem. Easy. Ha- Easily you, soft. Have you ever seen, Marilyn, during all of your years as an election integrity advocate across the country for uh, probably as long as me, or maybe longer, I don't know, have you ever seen anything like what we are now seeing in the state of Georgia uh, playing out in real time and not being covered by the national media? Well, I thought that I was beyond having anything that could shock me anymore, Brad. You know, I've been at this like you for so long. Little shocks me. I'll have to say my jaws are still on the floor of this for this week. And, and the fact that the media is not covering it, I don't understand. I can only surmise that they're still in disbelief and, and thinking, wait, the facts just maybe are just not fully out yet. That's the only thing I can come up with. 
this is scandalous. This is scandalous. And I don't know, maybe one of us needs to get on Fox News, on Fox and Friends, and talk about this issue in the morning so that Donald Trump sees it, so that he talks about it at a rally, and then (laughs) the national media may actually cover it. Last question, Marilyn. Should voters in Georgia at this point be worried about, A, their ability to actually vote at the polls on Election Day, given all of this? And B, should they be worried about whatever, you know, they, they may get as their reported results? Well, it's hard to to give much comfort here. Again, that's why we would urge use handmarked paper ballots and uh, mail ballots and drop them at your local election office. But it's hard to say that people should have much confidence if there is much of the vote that goes on touchscreen. But you know what? What's not too late is for every single voter to go to your county your county board of elections. It's a bipartisan board. Mm -hmm. They have the power to go to hand-marked paper ballots. They do not have to wait for the judge or for the secretary of state to do anything. Every single county in this circumstance has the ability to say we're going to go to hand-marked paper ballots. Well, that would be good if they did that. I know that one county, Athens-Clark, I believe it was, tried to do that uh, a few months ago, and the secretary of state threatened to sue them if they did yes. it, for some reason, he really, really wants everyone to use these touchscreen machines. You can fill in your own ideas about why that may be, because I, I, I won't even begin to guess. Uh, Marilyn, I, I, I want to get out here, but I do, as always, I want to push folks towards coalitionforgoodgovernance.org, because I believe, Marilyn, you guys are doing the most important work in the country when it comes to electronic voting systems. And I don't, you know, push a lot of sites and, and tell people to donate, but I do for yours, because I, I wish we had uh, a Marilyn Marks in all 50 states at this point. And uh, you're, you're doing you, the Lord's work out there. Marilyn Marks, you can We're find... We're trying hard. Thank you so much. You can find Marilyn on the Twitters to follow this case as it breaks. She is Marilyn. Marilyn R. Marks, the number one. Marilyn R. Marks, the number one. And, of course, uh, again, her website, coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. Thank you, Marilyn. I suspect we'll, be, you, uh, we'll be speaking soon. <laughs> I hope so. We'll keep you posted. Okay, Goodbye. thanks. Okay, quick out, or we won't have time for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report coming yep. up next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. You know, Jesse Doyen, I still can't believe we're the only ones who seem to be covering that Georgia story uh, on the broadcast media. I know, it's remarkable. I don't get it. I really don't. Then again, I don't get why we're pretty much the only ones who have been covering climate change (laughs) over the public airwaves as consistently as you have for the last 12 years. Yep. Uh, Maybe we got some help from... 
Chris Wallace of Fox News in our latest Green News Report. I'd like to talk about climate change. So would I. So would I. Green News Report special coverage. A surprise discussion about climate change at the first 2020 presidential debate in Cleveland, Ohio. All of those surprises and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Here's the deal. about the Green New Deal. That is not most ridiculous. Where airplanes are out of business, where two-car systems are out, where they want to take out the cows. No, they don't want to take out the cows. This is your Green News Report. And it's not $2 billion or $20 billion, as you said. It's $100 trillion. No, it is not. You are so full of shit. Okay, Desi Doyen, it was a surprise. We were told what the topics would be for the first presidential debate. Climate change was not on Chris Wallace's list. But sure enough, it was a nice, long segment on climate change. Yeah, with a record hurricane season and a record deadly wildfire season in the West, costing the U.S. hundreds of billions of dollars in economic losses in just the last month alone. Yeah, climate hawks had criticized debate moderator Chris Wallace for omitting that climate crisis from his official list of topics. And apparently Chris Wallace heard the complaints. Apparently he did. He surprised everyone with an 11-minute discussion on climate change. I believe believe it was the longest and most substantive on climate ever in a general election presidential debate. I believe you are correct. That's not saying much, of course, but it was still pretty good. But before we turn to the debate, first, keep in mind that climate scientists say humans are responsible for all of the global warming observed since the 1950s. And they say that swift, sustained action will be required over the next 10 years and beyond if we are to have a chance at avoiding the worst impacts of man-made climate change. Wallace began by noting the record wildfires in the West, Trump's withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord, and his rollbacks of President Obama's environmental and climate regulations. Trump conflated climate change with air and water pollution, raising the question of whether he even understands what man-made climate change is. And of course, he took credit for Obama's emissions-cutting policies. What do you believe about the science of climate change, and what will you do in the next four years to confront it? I want crystal clean water and air. I want beautiful, clean air. We have now the lowest carbon. If you look at our numbers right now, we are doing phenomenally. He doesn't know the difference between pollution and carbon emissions, does he? On the third attempt, Trump finally answered. Do you believe that, that human pollution, gas, greenhouse gas emissions contributes to the global warming of the climate? I think climate? a lot of things do, but I think to an extent, yes. I think to an extent, yes. But I also think we have to do better management of our forests. D- uh, to an extent, yes. He sort of agrees. Yes. But then we have to take care of our forests somehow. That That's climate change? Which it is driven by climate change, but... No. It doesn't cause climate change. Wallace pressed on. But, sir, if you believe in the science of climate change, why have you rolled back the Obama 
clean power plan which limited carbon emissions in power plants. Why have you relaxed? Because it was driving energy prices through the sky. Which, of course, is false. Renewable energy is now on par with or cheaper than fossil fuels for electricity, and Trump's rollbacks of mileage and emission standards for cars will actually result in more traffic deaths, not fewer, as Trump falsely claimed. Wallace then turned to Vice President Joe Biden. He gave a great summary of Biden's comprehensive climate policies, but unfortunately couched it in conservative false framing of climate action versus the economy. You propose $2 trillion in green jobs. You talk about new limits, not abolishing, but new limits on fracking, ending the use of fossil fuels to generate electricity by 2035, and zero net emission of greenhouse gases by 2050. And it includes upgrading 4 million buildings, weatherizing 2 million homes over four years, building 1.5 million energy-efficient homes, So the question becomes, I think some people who support the president would say that sounds like it's going to cost a lot of money and hurt the economy. What it's going to do is going to create thousands and millions of jobs. It's going to make the economy much safer. Look how much we're paying now to deal with the hurricanes. We spend billions of dollars now, billions of dollars on floods, hurricanes, rising seas because of global warming. There's so many things that we can do now to create thousands and thousands of jobs, not only not costing people jobs, creating jobs. Biden did miss an opportunity to explain his plans for a just transition for fossil fuel industry workers and low-income households in transitioning to a clean economy. Polls show that the vast majority of voters want climate action. And for the first time in a general election presidential debate, Americans finally got to hear a little of what the candidates will do or not do about the climate crisis. It was an insane debate, but who would have thunk uh, with Donald Trump in a debate and Chris Wallace of Fox News hosting that we'd have an actual discussion about our climate crisis, no matter how insane that discussion actually was. For much more on this and all of the stories we couldn't cover today because of it, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah, no kidding. I know. So we actually get to end today with some good news. Yeah. That's not bad. Not too bad at all. For a change. All right, we got to go. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, I hope you will stop by bradblog.com and download it for free. Send links to your friends and your family and your enemies. Whatever it takes, that is made possible thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves to continue to do what uh, apparently nobody else can. I don't get it. Uh, you can drop me email if you want. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the bradblog. I will see you there. Until I see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Uh